and a pleasant good evening, Mets fans, and welcome back to the Pleasant Good Evening Podcast. It's episode 101 here on PGE. If you joined us last week for episode 100, we thank you for tuning in, and we apologize for the general chaotic nature of that episode. We've done that combination of guests twice now with Abigail Noy and Richard Staff, and both times it's it's pretty much been about the same. I'm Sam Lebowitz. He's Jack Hendon. Just the two of us today as we kick off the offseason in style here on PGE. The Houston Astros are world champions. Edwin Diaz remains a New York Met. There's some news, some notes, some smaller things from around baseball and around Mets land that we'll talk about today. The Mets are going to pick up Daniel Vogelbeck's option, things of that nature, smaller stuff, options getting declined, who's getting qualifying offers. We don't know for sure, but uh, we'll talk about any and all of it today. And before we do, Jack, how are you feeling on Election Day? We're recording here on Tuesday evening. I'm feeling I'm I'm feeling good bummed that the season's over um i don't know i thought that seeing dusty baker win would be like really really you know thrilling and it's not that it wasn't but um you know i think when the when the season itself really starts to wind down and the curtain starts to close you sort of think a little bit more just about um you know your own sort of connection with baseball as it relates to your team and i just really wish the mets had seen it through to the end because it looked like a lot of fun what the Astros got to do and I mean, it was a great series too just in general I think with every game I was um having a lot of uh you know I was I was pretty envious um I'm sure Philly fans are you know disappointed now but we'll in short time reflect on a really really um exciting season for them and something that had a lot of great moments um you know, sprinkled within them. But I mean, I'm feeling good. The off season is here. Um, very happy about Edwin Diaz. Uh, we'll talk about that a lot. Um, Steve Cohen continues to, uh, to run the, run the gamut. It's, it's pretty neat. Um, it's once again about the Mets. So yeah, that, that I'm, that I'm happy about. We got about 24 hours into the off season and, the Mets took headlines back with the re-signing of Edwin Diaz, which is probably the first Mets-related uh, thing on the docket today for our purposes. Um, but we will, you know, I think it's worth talking about the World Series. We were talking about right before we came on how we wanted to tackle that. And I think you have the right idea there, Jack, is that, listen, when that series kicked off, even after – um Houston lost game one I don't really think there was a lot of doubt in anyone's mind that they were not going to be able to come back I mean the Phillies did feel for for about a minute there like the team of destiny um but once Houston pulled that series back to 2-2 uh I I was like all right I think this is over and then you know with the the combined no hitter too as such an emphatic note um to do so in the Phillies own ballpark the second yeah. combined no hitter against the Phillies this year, uh, you won't forget. Of, yeah. You won't forget who threw the first one. Speaking of Edwin Diaz, he threw the last pitch That's in right. that combined no hitter. So That's it all comes. Right. It all comes full circle. Um, but I, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it was cool that Houston got to clinch the World Series on their home turf. Uh, something that hasn't been done 
since the Red Sox did it in 2013. It was almost a decade since a team won the World Series at their home field, which is really wild to me. Uh, And you know what? I know there's been a lot going around about, oh, the Astros now have a clean championship. They have a clean ring now. And uh, now they're legitimized as this great dynasty uh, or whatever you want to say. And and it washes away the sins of 2017. It doesn't. It doesn't do that. But it is nice to see a really good baseball team that is led by a man who deserves a ring and Dusty Baker, like you said, mm-hmm. uh, win in the end. I don't find them as deplorable as a lot of other baseball fans do. I was saying this on the pod last week about we were talking about, you know, what happens if the Phillies win the World Series. I really didn't find myself caring much either way, yeah. but I didn't find myself against the idea of the Astros winning the World Series. And the reality of the world we live in right now is that the Houston Astros are reigning champs and that's fine, you know, and they're going to be contending for a repeat next year. Cause again, they run things very well down there. They're a very good baseball team and I'm sure they'll be very good again in 2023. Yeah. I think that combined no hitter probably just like reset the factory settings on the Phillies team, you know, just like it really did. I think after that, I think it did change the vibe and obviously momentum isn't a real thing, but um, God, yeah, I mean, a, a combined no-hitter. I mean, we talked about it during the regular season, how uh, it's almost more embarrassing to have a combined no-hitter thrown against you than an actual no-hitter because you can't even chalk it up to one guy just being, you know, otherworldly. Like, you kind of let a bunch of different pitchers um, wipe their feet on you. Uh, to have that happen twice and to have it happen in the World Series, um, it's – I didn't envy Philly fans at all watching that. Um, it's – but yeah, I think to your point about just the Astros and the the, you know, the redemption tour that like Ken Rosenthal and Co are trying to lead. I think it's just sort of, you know, I'm not a Yankee fan, right? So I don't feel, and I'm not a Dodger fan. Like I don't feel like, I don't really have a horse in this race, right? I didn't have anything taken away from me in 2017. But I think if people like are still mad at like Alex Bregman and Jose Altuve, like that's perfectly and Yuli Gurriel like that's perfectly legitimate and um you know those are things that obviously no one's saying that this team is also cheating and that all the you know every iteration of the Astros is cheating like we all understand that that's not the case but I mean did I want the first fan base to see their team win a World Series at home since 2013 to be the Astros fan base no I I I didn't um Ultimately, I think, you know, winning a World Series at home is a lot cooler than the last couple of ones where it's been in front of a quiet crowd. But, like, I don't know. I It, it could have been cool if it had been the Mets. Um, that's that's where I'm at on that. But, I mean, there's next year, you know? Like, there's next year and the year after that and every year to come till we, you know, till the sun explodes. Um, yeah. I mean, but, I'm personally very excited for when the Mets – um, bring back just enough talent to win 88 games next year, sneak into the playoffs, and then find themselves being the team uh, that feels like the team of destiny, like that's the right. Phillies. Like, because that's can't just how overdo it. You you can't overdo it. I think that's really the the key message is you can fly under the radar and it's fine. 
Yeah, that's how they're going to, it's how it's going to happen. Like, if this team eventually makes a run back, like, that's how it's going to happen, right? It's going to be a team that's just like, meh, they're fine. They can improve, but they're not gonna. And then they get hot at the right time. I think that, like, that's, that's going to have to be how it is because, I don't know, I don't remember if I've said it on the podcast or not, but I've definitely said it in other circles that I think that the 2024 Mets are better than the 2023 Mets. Um, and I think that that's just a, a result of so many key players who are probably going to depart and or uh, regress. I don't think that we can rely on this team churning out 101 wins again unless you just completely blow the doors off of the payroll and I mean, early indications hey. seem to be that they're not exactly apprehensive in regards to the payroll i still am kind of in the um line of thinking where like i need to see it to believe it that they're gonna blow past 300 million dollars um you know that seems like the two things is like you know they could stay around 290 where they've been or they can you know say screw it and find themselves at like 350 360 do we know um, heading what they're at the right now should we go into it right now i with, think that there's Diaz? we i think we should definitely talk about edwin and then i think that edwin opens up the lane to that conversation of how do they attack the rest of the offseason oh no i i meant literally asking like do we know what their payroll is they're right now oh well they're with edwin i think they're right back around maybe slightly past the first luxury tax threshold i do like they're gonna be over they're gonna be over um anyways i think they're gonna be over pretty much every year there's really not a scenario in which a team like the mets and given the fact that the penalties are really not that bad for that first threshold the mets should never be under that first threshold ever again i don't think um so they're either right up right up against it already or they're over it um but i think but you know the it, it it escalates with every ensuing threshold that you pass and i think um that 290 mil threshold was the one that they were really trying hard not to push past last this past season because um then it became like an actual you know punishment if you do a little bit still not a terrible one but one that like you should probably they were thinking about clearly uh because they were telling us the whole way that especially towards the end of the offseason last offseason once they got close to it it was like we're only going to push past it if we get the players that we feel are worth pushing past it for and they really never got that uh i think that this offseason you might find them a little more willing to push past 290 uh but i don't think that they you know they, they probably have a better idea of what they're planning to do now but i don't think that a week ago while the world series was still going on i don't think that the mets knew what they were gonna i don't really think the mets knew what they were gonna do payroll wise because steve cohen is the kind of owner where the phillies winning the world series might might you know get him flustered enough say i built a 101 win team and this phillies team won the world series um to get him to just go scorched to earth and say bring me aaron judge uh bring me carlos rodon bring me nimmo and edwin and bassett uh and let's build a juggernaut 
with the highest payroll in baseball history because that might be the only way to do it right now, which yeah. is not true. Obviously, we saw with the Phillies, but the Phillies also had like the fourth highest payroll in baseball. Like yeah, they were up it, there it too. It helps. It absolutely helps to to spend money. Like I think we're sort of in a position where we have a we root for a team that kind of their their only choice right now is to spend money because um, they don't really have the the tools in place. They don't really have the R and D, the self scouting. Um, you know. I guess right. to to be the Dodgers, right? But um, I mean, the Phillies and Mets basically followed a very similar course um, of expanding analytics uh, at the lower level, but also like spending a lot of money in the short term to to bring wins about um, for now. And I think to your point about the twenty twenty four Mets being better than the twenty twenty three Mets, I think that that's obviously going to be true because of um, just how many people we're going to have to say goodbye to ahead of 2023. I also just think fundamentally like that will probably be true as time goes on because the Mets commitment, especially right now to simply signing players is a lot stronger than it will be next year and the year after as these things hopefully start to smooth out. I mean, we say that as though this, this team has a, a defined direction right now and like they still don't really have a president of baseball operations and we're definitely going to have to like approach this a couple times in the off season because i'm sure that people will scramble and um if it isn't apparent to our listeners already we don't really trust billy epler to do the job on his own um it's 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 definitely i think a, a weird spot for them to be in um i think ultimately the amount of money that they have to spend is something that works for them i think also to your point the fact that their owner will just fly into a rage because steven matz doesn't want to play for your team uh will be a positive as long as he's the only one that is like that right now because he really is the only owner who's going to do something like that he's the last steinbrenner um in this business speaking of steinbrenners yankees what happened um but yeah, uh, I think it'll uh, be fun. I mean, really, we talk about this like watching the Phillies is what's going to be a joker moment for Steve Cohen. We don't know what Steve's going to do when Jacob deGrom inevitably signs somewhere else because I don't think he's staying with the Mets. I Between the fact that they went first to Diaz and just the general slipping away that I have felt in the last couple months with this player um, – like, I don't think Jacob deGrom is staying. And I think when he goes somewhere else, especially if he goes to a National League team, um, consequences are not going to be the same. Uh, I'm with you on that. I, I'm i with you on that kind of sense of impending dread that Jake is going to leave. I mean, the first report we got out today, it was an Andy Martino report, whatever. Take those with a grain of salt because we know who's feeding him those reports, whatever. Um you know, the first report came out that the Mets have reached out to him. They're very far apart on numbers, but um, they're concerned about the Braves and the Texas Rangers. I This rumor that has been purported around about DeGrom and the Rangers, I find to be very odd. Um, I think it comes as a basis of DeGrom is from South central florida yeah it's got everything to do with proximity it's 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 it's, he's more of a um laid-back guy who might not like these giant 
municipalities, these big under the lights city markets like New these York anarchist or... jurisdictions. <laughs> yeah. You know? He wants to just go and throw baseballs and drink Mountain Dew and eat Pizza Hut and be around the people with boy. and maybe be around people who are a little more like minded than, you know, as he is. Uh, so I think that's where this rumor like people circled the Rangers or they were like, they're that if Jake, if Jacob DeGrom wants to get out of the biggest market and he wants to go closer to home and he wants to get out of the spotlight a bit. Texas Rangers, that's where he's going to go. But also See, but the Rangers— Why wouldn't it be Tampa Bay then? He's from Florida, and that's the smallest market there is, right? Be, like, I think it's because people understand that the Rays would never sign a guy to, you know, the AAV that it's going to require to sign to Grom. Like, I think people well, were logical okay, enough that, to that, be like— That's actually a fair point. And also, yeah, he's, Tropicana Field is not— uh, yeah, who wants to play the like? Who wants yeah. to play at the Trop? I mean, but like, yeah, Degrom is not going to sign somewhere that is not willing to pay thirty five plus a year minimum. But I don't think the Rangers are that team either, because yeah. look at the contracts that they signed just last season. Right. Semyon and Seager were two huge contracts. I don't think they're willing to take on a similar sized in terms of you know financial burden contract for a pitcher who is effectively this glass cannon in DeGrom a guy who you're gonna get you know the bang for your buck if he's on the field but the risk of him being off the field pretty high uh given his last few years I was actually at the gym today and I overheard a couple of like Mets fans talking guys like dudes in their 40s who were like chatting it up and one of them they were talking about DeGrom and I like kind of took one of my airpods out uh were you doing like, lap pull downs I was not doing lap pull downs shout okay. out Dylan Hornick today was a push day not a pull day um and I kind of I was like eavesdropping on this conversation and one of the dudes was like we signed him to that extension and then he got hurt the next year like he owes us he owes us because we gave him a team-friendly contract, and then he went and got hurt for us. We he owes us to come back at a discount. You know he would be the most you know the richest pitcher in history if he just stayed healthy, but he can't do that, so he owes us to come back. And I'm like, I don't think Jacob Degrom feels like he owes the Mets anything or Mets fans anything. I think the he's, Mets owe him about like forty combined wins across the last like you know, four seasons, maybe even yeah. three. Like, and they, uh, and uh, the way free agency works in a lot of cases is, uh, especially in superstars cases, uh, the Mets actually probably are going to be owing him a lot of money. Uh, right. I don't think DeGrom is concerned about uh, his legacy with this franchise. I think he's happy to have won his t couple of Cy Youngs. He's happy to have um, put up these historic seasons. I think he's happy to have pitched the way he has pitched here. I'm sure he wishes that he could be uh, hoisting a championship as a New York Met, given how long he's been here. I'm sure it'll be a little bit of, a little bit bittersweet to leave, as it often is for these guys who started their careers and had success in places before hitting free agency. But I think that if he makes a lot of money and he goes to a situation in which he and his family are comfortable, I think that that is all Jacob DeGrom cares about. And I don't think that he feels like he owes the Mets bubkis uh in that regard he's gonna do what he feels is best for him and his family and you got to respect that whether it is getting out of the spotlight and going to pitch for the texas rangers whether he is getting 
um, swooned by the Dodgers or the Braves or whether he winds up back in New York. I think that if Jacob deGrom is in a situation where Jacob deGrom and his family are happy, then that is as simple as it needs to be for deGrom. Because, you know, not to make a pun about his walk-up song, Jacob deGrom is a pretty simple man. Yeah. The writing has been on the wall all along. We should have known this, right? Every time we were, uh, you know, every time we wondered, like, what the guy wanted, that was it was just right there, you know? He just wants yeah. his, he just wants, like, his, he just wants his McDonald's, I think. He just wants to be near a McDonald's. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, say all this about him moving on, and, like, it would be really, I think, special to see him finish his career in New York Met. But I think also with the, you know, also they probably factored some of this into when they signed Max Scherzer last off season. Like, I think there is, you can't deny that there is a changing direction that this team is taking. And um, there might be a few cords that need to be cut. Unfortunately, in order for the Mets to make that happen, they're going to need to, um, you know they're gonna need to, I think, embrace the idea of bringing in new new faces and um, getting fans. I think weaned away from the image of a player um, in favor of the image of a winning team. And um, Jacob Degrom is someone who very much gives them uh, the face of a winning team. Don't get me wrong, but uh, if they think Trey Turner will get them there in a way that will allow them to move things around in other places, uh, like they'll probably do that. Um, then again, as I said before, this could be like a bottomless pocket situation. And like, we could just be like the Mets could sign. They could, they could re-sign Jacob deGrom right now. If they, you know, if they wanted to, they could, you know, they, the Diaz deal is sort of, I mean, they're giving him the, the most lucrative contract a relief pitcher, a free agent relief pitcher has ever received. Um, they did that immediately. Right, they came to him as soon as he, as soon as the season ended, and um, I would hope that they're doing the same with Jacob Degrom. But I also, I, I think to some extent, like I would imagine that they have. Um, yeah, I think that they've made contact with probably everyone that they're even vaguely interested in re-signing. I'm sure Chris Bassett's camp has heard from the Mets already. I mean, we can talk about Degrom, but I think that we kind of skipped over Edwin in a lot of regards and the discourse yeah. going on about that contract and. And all that stuff. I think that we, you know, we can get a little bit bogged down by the fact that the first move of the offseason was re-signing a, a reliever. And that is, I think, a simplistic view of it. And I think the fans that are getting concerned about prioritization, uh, about, you know, why did the Mets prioritize Edwin Diaz? I think they have it a little bit wrong, in my opinion. I do not think that they signed Edwin Diaz during this, whatever you want to call it, tampering period before free agency starts on Thursday at 5 p.m. Um, I think that, like, if you want to call it a tampering period, whatever, because he can't negotiate with other teams yet. He's not a proper free agent yet. Um, no one is yet. They can only, you know, talk to their current team until free agency opens. Um, I think that, like, if you're approaching this and saying, well, why do the Mets... Sign. Why was Edwin the guy that the Mets signed during this period before free agency? Why didn't they do that with Nimmo? You know, Nimmo is probably more valuable to this team in terms of you know being a, a position player, a guy who can put up a five or six win season as a center fielder. Mm -hmm. Well, 
They did this with Edwin Diaz not as a matter of prioritization, but because Edwin, out of everyone that they've got, Edwin is the most slam dunk re-sign guy as a guy who both wants to be a Met and makes sense to bring back. And he is really good at his job. I mean, like, it's reductive to just call him a reliever. He is getting paid like the best reliever in baseball because he is the best reliever in baseball. I mean, there's it's a two-horse race for that title. It's him and Emmanuel Classe. And I feel like those two guys are as good a bet as any to continue to be at the top of that conversation for best relief pitcher in baseball through the five years of this contract. Because Diaz, Edwin is Edwin's coming off of an all-time relief season, yeah. not just in Mets history, but in baseball history. And if you want to keep that guy around, especially when you have genuinely no one else in your bullpen, I mean, the, the next highest guy on the totem pole who is under contract next year is Drew Smith. Yeah. Like, you need to spend a little on this bullpen to make sure you have a bullpen next year. Same thing you're going to have to do with the rotation if you're not spending on DeGrom. I mean, this Carlos Carrasco option that they haven't announced whether they're going to pick up or not, I think they're going to pick it up, even though it's $14 million for a guy who finished the season on kind of a sour note in Carrasco simply because they're going to have to find the innings somewhere. Mm -hmm. And that is the case here with Edwin, is that this is not them prioritizing a reliever over Nimmo. It is simply getting the easiest thing done out of the way first. Edwin wants to be here. The fans love him. He is coming off of an elite season in which he became a viral thing. Like people, not just inside baseball, got to know Edwin Diaz because of his entrance music. He became this kind of iconic part of baseball in the year 2022, part of this franchise. Uh, That song is going to be tied to him and the Mets for a very, very long time. So you're paying a premium to keep that kind of attention on your team, to keep your fans happy by keeping him with the team. And you're also paying a little bit of a premium uh, by doing this negotiation early, by trying to yeah. get him signed before he can talk to other teams. So I don't think it's a matter of prioritization. I just think it was a slam dunk to get this done. I think Edwin wanted to get this done. And I think that this has probably been more or less done for a couple of weeks now, at least. And they were just waiting until, yeah. you know, the the spotlight was off of the Astros and Phillies and they could actually sign somebody without maybe pissing off the um the powers that be in baseball um talking about media and stuff like that i just think it was a slam dunk i don't think that this is them saying we'd rather have edwin than nimmo i think this is just them saying brandon nimmo's a scott boris client he's not going to negotiate until he hits the open market so let's get done what we can get done before free agency starts yeah and i think even Honestly, if we wanted to entertain the idea of like priority, like prioritizing, it's like, you know, if you peel back and you look at the fine print of this contract, like $27 million of this 102 is deferred money. Like it's not even making that big of a dent in their payroll or whatever. Um, Like my first inclination, honestly, had very little to do with the personnel aspect of it and more so to do with like, well, Simply put, like it's not my money. Um, they the Mets can spend as they see fit. Um, if they think that they can spend in a bunch of areas, and as we have talked about multiple times over in this episode and in past episodes, like I think that they'll do that. 
Um, but this is, I think, this is a deal that, and I, I don't know if you read the Keith Law article that he wrote about this. Yeah, um, when I was saying how I think it's reductive to call him a reliever, it yeah. was more or less in reference to Keith Law saying, five-year contracts don't work for relievers. They've never worked for relievers. There are very few relievers like Edwin Diaz. Yeah, That's everyone knows that, right? Like, everyone knows relievers are fickle. People, like, throw this out there every six months like it's this grand concept that like guys we should just stop paying them money because they're all bad it's like yeah we know that like the the bj ryan contract wasn't a good contract it was also a contract that was signed in like 2006 right like we know that wade davis wasn't very good as a colorado rocky that was also like always gonna be bad like you could do this for basic basically any player um, and you can also do it while completely ignoring, as Keith Law does, that like the contracts are getting more expensive anyway. It's not even like, oh, we're trending in the entire league is trending in a direction of handing out more money to players, which is a good thing. And the, the contract being the most expensive contract for a reliever in history, you look at the contract that it supersedes, that it beat out in the Roldis Chapman contract with the Yankees. Inflation pretty much covers the difference. Like this right. is in line more or less with the other big reliever contracts that have been signed. Yeah, and the Liam Hendricks deal, it like beat the Liam Hendricks deal in terms of, you know, AAV and like the Hendricks deal is a good deal. Liam Hendricks had a good season with the White Sox. He's a good relief pitcher. He's a very good years. relief. Yeah. He's right? a very like, good relief pitcher. Closer I mean, even, I would say. Not a relief pitcher, right? Yeah. And like, there is we are. There is more value in having that guy at the back end of bullpens who can get the got get the job done in a close game. I know that, you know, modern day practices that I agree with for the most part suggest that maybe it's better instead of having a closer, a ninth inning pitcher, to have a guy who can come in in the seventh inning and face the team's best hitters with men on base or whatever. Um, and the Mets did a little bit of that with Edwin towards the end of the season, using him in a little bit different high lever situations instead of just save opportunities. I think it would behoove a team to kind of do what the Astros have built here with their bullpen, have multiple trustable high leverage relievers who you can go to as early as the fifth inning. I mean, we saw Brian Abreu get up in the fourth, fifth inning a couple of times this postseason, and then still have your closer in Ryan Presley, who was locked down, who was magnificent, all postseason long, I think that you just got to build out a bullpen, really, to the people who are saying that the Mets would be better off um, not having a quote-unquote closer. Just build a good bullpen. Um, Which they're not going to do for a very long time, which is the other point. Like, this is basically what the Mets are going to have to do until they have the tools in place. Like, until Eric Jagers gets to, like, call as many shots at the lower levels as I hope he gets to, right? Like, we like there's no one in the the system that's going to come up and like Bryce Montez de Oca is probably not going to be much more than like I'd say what Drew Smith was for the Mets this year which is like I think a very tolerable seventh inning reliever and like after him there's like Grant Harwig right like it's a it's a very if Montez de if I would say if Bryce Montez de Oca became 2022 Drew Smith I would be very, very happy. I mean, Hartwig is, like, fine, and Eric Orze is, like, fine. Like, there's not a lot besides them. I mean, maybe, like, Steven Nagosik was, like, 
decent at points this year. He was hurt a bunch, but like maybe you trust him to have a bit of an elevated role next year. You're you're right, and you bring up the Eric. Is it Jaegers or Jaegers? Because I don't. It might be Jaegers, but I'm that I because hmm. I've 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 since I first heard his name, I I always thought Jaeger, but it's with the J. I don't really know. I I well, think he that he invented would... the the um those like resistance bands, right? Did he? He's 27. Has he invented anything? Maybe not. I I should know this. He's less than um, five years older than me. That's pretty nuts. Maybe I'm just mispronouncing as as you know. Maybe I'm confusing Jager bands with someone else. Um, I should really know this because like Haverford uses the bands all the time. Like Trevor Bauer used these. It's probably not. Yeah, it's yeah. a different guy. It's a different guy. I'm they're, okay. There, yeah, him and him and Bauer. There's a there's a, a photo going around of him and Bauer being like friends or whatever to have a picture oh, well, of them together. Yeah. I just meant more yeah. so like it conflates my understanding because, you know, Jager bands, but this guy that, you know, the things that Trevor Bauer uses and this guy that's friends with Trevor Bauer, they aren't the same. It's like it's it's worse than a Mandela effect. I don't know. But it's I just want to I hope hire. it is a very good hire and the buzz around baseball from both people who are familiar with his work from the Reds or familiar with pitch science about, you know, Saris, who's the pitch science guy, like not the pitch science guy, but a pitch science guy, one of those writer types who likes writing about pitching and he's pretty smart. Um, and then C Trent Rosencrantz, who's the athletic writer for the Reds, who's very, very good. Both uh, praised the hiring of, of Eric Jagers um, to be the Mets director of pitching development, which is a, something that they sorely needed to sort out um, because the pitching development in this system, not good um as some people in the organization have told us and would tell you if you asked um so bringing him in is is very very good i hope it's jaeger because i think it would be cool that if we could like if they like every time they hit on like a like a minor league pitcher coming up and being good like a development win for the pitching system i think it'd be cool to call that a jaeger bomb sure Um, or call him the jaegermeister the jaegermeister yeah. Um, we got to ask Hack about that if we'd know. Yes, um, friend of the pod, Tom Hackamer is familiar right. with uh, Mr. Jager slash Jagers. Soon to be minor league free agent Tom Hackamer. Right. He's they're familiar. They're uh, they're they're friendly. They're familiar with each other's work. Jagers and uh, Hack. Um, yeah. So the train of thought, I guess, that we just kind of went off to talk about. You that need to hiring? sign Edwin Diaz to a deal like that because you don't have anything yes. in the, the 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 chamber. Like, you know, even if I think this idea that people have of what the Rays do, right, where they cobble together a bunch of, you know, mid leverage, you know, mid high leverage, sixth, seventh inning guys who have like one or two really good pitches and they exploit and bring that out and it's great because you get like you know, Chaz Rowe with a slider or whatever. Like the Mets don't have those tools in place to make that happen now. And the Rays also benefit from having guys that they can constantly option and recall, option and recall at will. The Mets don't have that either. Um, Like they can maybe have like an Aaron Loop or Adam Adovino who does the eighth inning for five to $6 million a year. And like they've generally hit on those kinds of deals, but like you can't i don't think this team has it in them to as as it stands you know they they don't have it to to just pull off like a, a full-on tampa bay bullpen like you not yet needed edwin diaz not yet right not yet they're not there yet maybe this 
overhauled pitching development system with uh Jaeger coming in. Jaeger Jaegers, whatever it is. Um could could be beneficial in that regard. I think that the conversations about oh, the Mets want to be the Dodgers East, but they're spending twenty million a year on a closer who, you know, in the past has maybe had a couple of down seasons as a Met, whatever. Um, I think they're not really getting what that means to be right. Dodgers East. Because if you look at the Dodgers trajectory to be where they are today, um, it kind of started out looking a little bit like this. Mm-hmm. Like the Dodgers, when they, when their new ownership group took over and they started this process to being the juggernaut they are today, they kind of had to throw their wallet around before the development, before the scouting and the the minor league system caught up. Like, now they churn out homegrown talent like it's nobody's business, but, I mean, there was a time when they were extending Adrian Gonzalez and Kenley Jansen to these big contracts because that's what they had to do. To you got to keep talent around while you try to build up the systems below you mm-hmm. so that you can churn out talent at a higher level. The Mets don't have that ability right now. The development system is not where it needs to be, and it probably won't be where it needs to be for another two or three seasons. Right. So before that happens, before they start being able to develop their own um, back ends of rosters, these depth pieces like – the Dodgers being able to pull like a Miguel Vargas out of their ass every year, or Michael Bush is going to be the guy next year, or Gavin Lux a year ago, whatever, mm-hmm. um, to fill the last third of your roster with homegrown, capable talent, and to fill out bullpens like Yancy Almonte came out of nowhere. They turned they turned him into a turbo sinker guy. Like until you're able to do that yourself with the right talent and the right staff to nurture that talent up through the system. You're going to have to spend some money. You're going to have to spend some money to retain the talent that you have the ability to retain or bring in the talent that you have the ability to bring in. And I think that's what this was here, was the Mets flaunting their wallet because they don't have the ability to fill their bullpen out another way. I think that they should probably also do the same thing with Adam Adovino. I think they should bring, I think it's a no-brainer to bring Adam Adovino back after the year that he had. I think it's an absolute no-brainer. Uh, even if, you know, he probably isn't as good next year. Simply put, like I said earlier, they need innings, and he is a guy that you can probably get on the same contract for a second straight year, maybe a slightly more expensive version because he had a really good year. You got to do that. I think in Edwin's case, it was literally just as simple as the Mets saying, all right, what do you want? Because we'll give it to you. Do you want the record for AAV for a reliever? Do you want the record for total money for a reliever? Both. What do you want? We'll give it to you because we want you here and you want to be here and we'll do whatever it really takes to get you under contract before Thursday at 5 p.m. when other teams can call you and compete with our offer because you're going to listen to us because you, you know, your agent is going to let you listen to us because he's not Scott Boris. You're willing to listen to us you want to be here, so here is a blank check, pretty much. I think it's, it's that it's, it's that simple, and it makes a lot of sense for both sides. And if if when year four comes around and Edwin Diaz is the Mets' seventh inning guy and he's maybe not nearly as good as he was in 2022, that's the the risk. But yeah, 
I think that we can pretty much bank another three very good seasons out of Edwin Diaz. I hope. I hope so. Yeah, I think I I think that's a pretty safe expectation. Um, I mean, yeah, really, like it it is going to be interesting, as we've said, to see like who it is that they're going to target next when this whole thing starts. Um, especially because like this is going to be a full off season of Billy Epler. Probably we haven't gotten a full off season of someone like in the chair since Brody Van Wagenen. We have like these abbreviated 2021, the Jared Porter, Zach Scott thing. Uh, and then 2022 Epler didn't really come into the picture until much later. And most of the decisions that were being made personnel wise had to just, you know, it was just like impulse buying, which was smart because, you know, they bought the best players um, that were on the market. But like, I mean, really, it's it'll be interesting to see what they who they you know, who they're going to target. Um, I, I really would like it if they were to revisit like a good president of baseball operations hire because David Stearns is like, who knows how long this is going to go on for. But I yeah. personally, I'd also just like to be done with it. Like, you know. Like year yeah. four of trying out an outfit, just put one on. I think that there's uh like the odds of anything happening on that front, I feel like are not very high. I think yeah. Stearns is just short of a pipe shot. I am keeping my eye on the James Click situation because I think that could be a possibility. Uh I'm I'm not really sure because I mean Click's got a a reputation that precedes him is maybe not the best guy. Um, something that is partially part of the reason. And by partially, I mean probably a, a big, big portion of why he would be leaving Houston in the first place. There's been reports that him and Jim Crane really don't see eye to eye. Well, Jim Crane uh, I mean, isn't a model citizen either, but yeah. Yeah, I think what basically my read on the situation is that they're both kind of assholes and they don't really, they're not assholes in a way where they get along. Um, they're not, say, they're not like assholes together. They're warring assholes. Um, warring assholes. I mean, Odd why else? Name, more warring assholes. War, <laughs> could be a good title, yeah. Um, I mean, why else would a GM be leaving after winning the World Series? Especially a young-ish GM uh, and one who is considered to be among the smarter executives in baseball. It just doesn't really make sense. Unless there's something underneath the surface um, that could cause a rift between the owner and his top executive. And I think that, I mean, Crane today in his uh, his first press conference after the Astros won the World Series, he said... Yeah, we're we're extending contracts to Dusty Baker, James Click, and then Click today, later on in the day, in the early evening, said, uh, "I'm not under contract." So Crane saying that he was extending contracts to us is, is not especially true at this moment in time. He said that his contract extended on Halloween on October 31st, and uh, he's uh, not the Astros GM right now. So that is a situation that seems like it might be unfolding rather dramatically. Um, so we'll see how that goes. I'm not even sure the Mets would have interest in bringing in Click. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think that there's probably three scenarios at play right now. Is that 
it's Epler's show to run this offseason. And then anything that happens maybe next year with Stearns' contract officially expiring, who knows? Um, but it's either Epler's show, it's they're going to bring in Stearns, which again, I don't see as particularly likely at this point, or they bring in Click, which I think might even be less likely. Because um, I think probably Click does stick in Houston, probably for one more year, but it's anyone's best guess at this point in time. I think we're going to wind up with Billy Epler running the ship. Which I'm not super confident about, but I don't know. I really I really don't know what to uh to think in regards to Billy Epler. I'm not I'm not confident in him, but I also think that maybe he's able to get just enough of the right stuff done um to uh put the Mets in a position to be a winning team again. I mean, the nice thing, at least, and I, I think I touched on this when I talked about, like, last offseason sort of, like, teaching us something, is that, um, I mean, I don't know. It depends who you ask if this is nice or not. I just remember from, you know, the 2020 offseason when we did this together, and also from my experience, you know, charting out and, and, and watching the Wilpon offseasons unfold, um, you know, there's something that disappears when you have an ownership group that is basically like hell bent on spending money and, and acquiring the most talented players that are on the market at any time um, that like I kind of in a way in a sick way, I kind of enjoyed like being able to budget and think about, all right, well, how is this guy fit in? Like, how can we put together a complete roster and um you know how many relievers should they sign and you know where can they make trades the other thing too is trades we haven't really talked about although Shohei Otani is apparently not going to be traded so um like that could that could go somewhere my Shohei Otani is not going to be traded shirt is raising a lot of questions that I thought my shirt answered are already answered by my shirt yeah um I mean my I guess yeah I liked sort of like planning things out and I guess something gets taken away when you're just sort of when the solution now is to just like throw money at, at, at whatever, but also like it is kind of fun that I don't need to, like I feel less involved um, in this process as it probably should be. Cause like, it's, it's not my money and it's also not, it shouldn't be like my brain that's in the front office really. Cause I don't have the, you know, the intelligence that, I mean, ideally, it wouldn't be Billy Epler, but right, like I probably don't have what Billy Epler has. Um, my larger point being, just like it is so strange that we can kind of. I almost feel like this off season, we're just gonna kind of vibe and and see like what it is they end up doing because, like, I don't. They're not really operating like with boundaries anymore, and that's something yeah. that I've only ever been familiar with is is you know having to like cut out certain you know cut in certain areas to make other areas work well and like having to trade for certain guys so that they could be able to sign other guys right like that's not really going to be there are no more robinson cano trades happening i guess yeah we're not we're not shopping in the bargain bin anymore i mean we've yeah. used that analogy i think the first episode after steve bought the team we talked about at length used a grocery store metaphor 
um, talking. But I think yeah. in this example, it's like we're not even shopping with a grocery list. You know what I mean? Yeah, we're we're putting stuff in our cart that we think we might use, but even if we don't use, it really won't hurt us if we don't use it. You know, yeah. like if we throw a perishable food item in our cart now and it goes bad, it, it really doesn't matter. Not not really anymore. I mean, it might hurt the team a little bit on the field, but like it's no, there's really nothing that's going to hamstring the team financially. Yeah, you from just get another one, right? Like yeah. if James McCann isn't good, you just get another catcher and you you cut your losses. Hopefully that's something they do uh, end up doing. But like if they yeah, can they, find a suitor in a James McCann trade, I think that would be great. Not because it would free anything up, but it would just just get him away. Yeah, and it would get them a you know it would probably it would force them to get a catcher. Although I think if they want a catcher, they'll just do that, and McCann will go when McCann goes. You know, like yeah, they might they might go into the season with Alvarez and Nito being the catching tandem, and uh, not maybe. if Alvarez uh, ends up getting traded to the Angels. For Facts. Sure. Come here, Shohei, please. I don't know the the off season. You're right. We you are just kind of vibing because. It really hasn't taken shape yet. Um, the only real outside free agent who the Mets have even floated interest in yet is uh, Trey Turner, which like I'm on board for. Yeah, I, don't I mean, literally, that. as we were recording, I don't know if you had seen this. John Heyman put out an article uh, talking about trying to th- trying to throw some water on the Trey Turner thing and saying how signing Trey Turner to play center field or second base doesn't make any sense for the Mets because Trey Turner is going to have a, a bajillion other teams calling for him to play shortstop. I don't know. Money there's a lot of shorts. There's a lot of shortstops on the market, John. Carlos Trey- Correa just got on the market, right? Yeah. It's, you got Correa, you've got Dansby, you got Bogarts now. Yep. I feel like I'm forgetting one still too. When you also had a lot of, I'm trying to think too. You also have a lot of teams that like kind of whiffed last year or punted last year's shortstop class in anticipation for this one. Yeah, right? because there would be like some sort of it would be you know getting the second best because obviously none of these guys are as good as like Corey Seager, right? But um, it's still high, you know, super valuable to have like Dansby Swanson on your team. Um, yeah, like I'm, I'm trying to think of the teams that are going to wind up with a shortstop. And I really am just I'm blanking on some of them. I feel like the Yankees will wind up with one. I can see I feel like the Braves are gonna pass on shortstops, but I feel like they're gonna try to pedal out like Vaughn Grissom as their shortstop. Well he'll be good if they do that. Yeah, it, of course. It always he will. goes that way for them. Yeah, of course he will be, because he's the Braves. But um I mean, I've been floating I think the the Orioles and Carlos Correa are like a perfect match. What about because Gunner? I? Um, yes, but also, like, you f- you could find somewhere for him, but like Correa, oh, yeah. I just feel like I feel like the Orioles coming off of the year they had, where they were above five hundred and a lot of fun and like talent coming up is like legit like Adley is a superstar already and like I feel like Mike Elias is going to want to make a splash he's going to want to do the thing that teams do when they're like a year away from really entering their window where they bring in 
a big money veteran superstar who has won before and he becomes the face of the team while they enter this phase of being pretty good but not quite really good it's what the Padres did with Machado like I think you mean Eric Hosmer oh please no (laughs) that didn't work I think I think that this it makes a lot of sense for um, the Orioles to make us I think Correa and the Orioles are going to get talked about a lot in the upcoming weeks I don't know if it happens but I could see the Orioles making a splash anyways um the shortstop market yeah i i think trey turner makes sense to, giants to could be in the market too probably I, I don't think brandon crawford is very long for that position i think the mariners could maybe make a splash there i think they mm-hmm. might move on from jp crawford and get some more offense in that position um crawford's defensive metrics were not very good either for that matter um yeah was, i although I think, yeah they like him that's the thing. They they do like him. I they don't know. do. They they love JP up there. Um, yeah, I think the Yankees will. I feel like like Dancy Swanson feels very Yankees to me. I actually well see none of these guys really do because I can't picture Dansby like shaved. Um, That's true. A, a guy named Dansby Swanson would play for the New York Yankees. Yankee like, fans would love him too. Like that would absolutely him and Harrison Bader. Um, they would have, they would have all sorts of, you know, not, not bash brothers, right? Cause they're not really more like, more like the douchebag brothers. I, 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 I did not, I am not endorsing this message. Uh, um, I just, well, Bader, Bader, I think is, I don't, he's probably a very nice guy. If you're listening, Harrison Bader, which I know you're not like, I'm sorry for putting this out into the universe. There are a few players in baseball who just on the field seem douchier than Harrison Bader. I think and even off the field. problem with short bit. people. Is he short? Yeah, he's pretty short. He is, what is he, 5'11"? No, he can't be 5'11". He's very hunched. Either that or he's very hunched over in his batting. What? He's 6'0". That's ridiculous. He's 6'0". That is crazy. He's literally taller than you. Well, no, he's not, but... Well, I thought you were like five, five nine. Oh, I see you're doing the bit now. No, you got um, him. Great bit. Definitely not an old dead. You know bit. what it is? It's because he's always like standing up next to either Aaron Judge or Paul Goldschmidt, who are built. Like, look at this picture yeah. of him and Aaron Judge, and tell me he does not look like he's five foot seven in this picture. Yeah, but it's Aaron. Ju- I mean, yeah, he right. was also roaming the same outfield with like gigantic Tyler O'Neill and like tall and lean Dylan Carlson for a while sure. too. I feel you. Um, am I wrong? It, it in would be that? so funny if the Yankees kept IKF at short, it, it would, would be honestly terrible. be an incredible turn of events. It would honestly, I think be far more chaotic than anything the Phillies did this year. If like the Mets and Yankees went full on freaky Friday and like their owner was George Steinbrenner and this you know the steinbrenner children became like the wilpons in this situation and like they just kept running like a mediocre shortstop out there with their prospects waiting just like the mets did with jose reyes when they had ahmed rosario um, it would be very funny what about what about re-signing judge but making zero other moves and just running back the exact same team yeah. a little bit worse 
Well, that would be great too because it would completely divide the fan base. Like you would have everybody – you would just have so many people like complaining about the fact that they had re-signed Aaron Judge because it had basically like blocked them off from doing anything else. Yeah, you're um, going Wilpon mode in 2016 with Cespedes. Yeah. You bring back the big guy and you do nothing else notable that helps the team in any significant way. Cespedes might unironically sign with someone this offseason. Like he's killing uh, it in the in Nah, I think he got pretty much blacklisted after that whole ordeal with the Mets cutting him. Mm-hmm. I I can't see. I don't think he's going to make a comeback to to the major. I think you'll see you'll hear stories about him hitting prodigious winter league homers for the next five years but i don't think Did he's ever going to catch videos on. of those prodigious home runs yes but he's also yeah i have yes i have that's the answer is that i have i i would not write it off i don't think he's coming back to the mets but i think somebody will take a flyer i mean think about how many times like manny ramirez tried making comebacks and teams took him when he yeah i think he's him. gonna be that guy but i don't think he ever actually gets there yeah We'll see. Anyways, where were we? We were talking about shortstops. I think we were talking about Dansby, and we were, we were talking, talking about Trey, about Trey Turner. That's right. I think that the market is so flooded with shortstops that Trey Turner, if he gets the right contract to play a position other than shortstop, he will take it. I think so too. I mean, you know, we talked about Jacob Degrom and like what's practical for players. Um, they they want to be close to family. They want to have those sorts of things taken care of for them because it makes their actual lives easier. But you know what else makes someone's life easier? Like 20 million extra dollars down the line. Like yeah, having more money. If the Mets outspend, if they outbid other teams for Trey Turner, he will sign with them. There's, you know, A-Rod signed with the Yankees for how much money to play third base. Like we could do this for like Manny Machado signing to play third base, right? Even though he wanted to play shortstop. Like this happens all the time. Um, Money talks. It might it might even happen with Correa specifically. Yeah. You talking about Gunnar Henderson and the yeah. Orioles. Although Gunnar can play third base, so it's one of those things where like it could be either of them. But yeah, no, they've I, done a, I, they've done a good job yeah. grooming him in such a way to play multiple positions. Damn, yeah, the Orioles really. That's another thing that's crazy. I think Yo, the the the, the woke is that the Phillies shocked everyone this year. I think the bespoke is that. Like the Orioles are about to on the the Orioles might, and I'm saying this very very loosely, could be very wrong, but I think as it stands, November eighth, twenty twenty two, I think that the Orioles are in a better spot for next season than the Yankees are. You might have a point. I'm not like if the Yankees sign Judge, that argument goes away very quickly. Uh, the Orioles have not proven anything, but they also have like just so much more coming, and like I don't yeah. think people are ready for that. Yeah, with uh, with Judge and, and Anthony Rizzo both currently not under contract. Yeah, or or they won't be. You know, when free agency opens, whatever. I think you have an argument that the teams on paper on November tenth, uh, you know, forty eight hours from now, once free agency is open. Um, that the Orioles and the Yankees are both like roughly eighty-two win teams. Yeah, I would give I'd give the Orioles a, I'd give them both a little bit more, but yeah, I mean you'll get a full season at Adley. Yeah, you'll get a full season out of 
Gunnar Henderson probably. You'll probably get show up. Say that again. Colton Kowser will probably get some Maybe. time. I mean, he's really you're going to have Grayson Rodriguez, probably. D.L. Hall, perhaps. I know he came up this year, but maybe like a full season of him as like, maybe you get D.L. Hall 25 starts in there and he, he is a guy. Um, Yeah, I man, that's fun. Felix Bautista as an actual legitimate yeah. closer. I mean, they, they talk about building a bullpen out of pretty much nothing. Their bullpen was really good this year. It's crazy. Dylan Tate. They made Dylan Tate good, you know? Yeah. Uh, was it Tyler Wells? Was that who that is? Tyler Wells was like a starter reliever for them. He kind of got a weird treatment. But um, was Jorge Brian Lopez Baker was a thing? Great. Um, Keegan Aiken was okay, too, which was like, if you watched Keegan Aiken in 2021, it was like, it's crazy to think that he like got another chance and actually turned it around. Um, was Bruce Zimmerman still an Oriole this year? I think he was. Yeah, I mean, there will be a weird transition period for them. Yeah, Aiken had like a three twenty ERA. That's nice. That'll play. That's um, good. Yeah, I yeah. mean, they they also got like probably guys playing a little bit above where they probably should have been playing. Like, mm-hmm. you know, not like Adley or whatever, but like Jorge Mateo maybe probably was a little bit better than he had any business being. Mm-hmm. Um, Cedric Mullins fell back down to earth, which is like sad because when he was like a superstar for a minute, that was really fun. But now he's yeah. just like pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can he'll definitely like still have a chance to to keep playing. Um, other pitcher who's really good is Kyle Bradish. He has oh, really yes. interesting stuff. Um, I don't know. I'm 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 excited to see what happens there. Um, should be cool. I don't know. I don't. I don't have much else to uh to contribute. I yeah, think we've that... uh we've hit the hour mark. We've yeah. talked about pretty much everything at any kind of length that we wanted to. We've talked Edwin and Degrom a lot today, and we've talked kind of next steps in the off season. Um, the next kind of things are the club options that they need to make decisions on, which are Vogelback. And Carrasco, we already know they are picking up Vogelbacks. It's only like three mil. It's it's like practically nothing. Um, there's really no reason not to. They might pick him up and then honestly non-tender him by the non-tender deadline, whatever. Um, and then Carrasco is, is 14 mil. And I think, I feel like you and I probably agree on this, that they are going to pick it up, that yeah. there's they kind of have to based yeah. on the innings that they're going to need to fill. Uh, and that really covers it. In terms of Mets stuff um, at this point in the offseason. And that's that's really all we've got on November 8th. You got any guys? I, I'm going to think about it. <laughs> I'm, I'll tell you who I'm remembering. I teased it earlier. But I think it's always important with every offseason to in the backs of our minds, remember Steven Matz. Because um, he, like, he woke up. There's waking up a sleeping giant, and then there's, like, waking up a kraken. And at the time when Steven Matz decided to, like, first of all, it, I think it all got kind of overplayed because players do this all the time. 
not even players, right? Like their agents do this all the time. Like they part, you know, they parlay offers into better offers. Like this happens a lot in negotiation. It's called leveraging. Um, look it up. It's real. Uh, this guy read the art of the deal late recently. I, the art of the deal, great book. Um, I I I I didn't read the end of it. Uh, didn't read the about the author, but it seemed pretty good. Um, but you know when Matt's did that and Steve Cohen fires off that tweet, I I just remember when Steve Cohen tweeted about like unprofessional behavior. It was so embarrassing because at that point like the Mets had basically gotten rejected by every candidate that you know they wanted for GM they didn't have a manager yet um they had all these guys exiting and you know via free agency like Noah Syndergaard literally picked the Angels over them um like they couldn't even get him on the QO and it was it was you know they they were completely directionless 2021 was also just kind of like a bad and embarrassing season and I thought like this is actually like there's no way this is going to get worse. Like they just got rejected by Steven Bats. Like he leveraged their offer into this deal with the Cardinals. Um and obviously things happened after that. Um Steve Cohen sat down for Thanksgiving or whatever and got up from the table and made some phone calls and you know, they had like like five free agents, you know, signed by by the the holiday. Um but I looked up Matt's statistics with the Cardinals. I mean, it's a limited sample because he got hurt this year, right? It's only 10 starts, 15 games, 48 innings. Um, he had a career low in walks per nine this year. Um, 1.9 walks per nine. Uh, homers were still kind of an issue, but 378 FIP, like, I don't know. He's He was Steven Matz this year. Well, he's also, I don't know. See, the thing is, like, I feel like Matt's has always had a little bit of an issue with the walks. Not, like, a big one, but, like, 1.9 is, is kind of, like, I think a ridiculous number for him to put up. Um, he's yeah, I, turning 32 next year, which is... That's wild. Time time goes by. Um, yeah, it do. But, yeah, it's, it's strange, because for a long time, I think my, like recollections of Steven Matz were like as this this Met who this Met pitcher who kind of like you know I wouldn't say he was a head case because he wasn't like difficult for other people to work with but like he clearly like you know pressed when he wasn't doing well and like that was his thing and he didn't really ever you know figure it out and become an ace as a Met um but all of that falls by the wayside now um with this place he holds in Met history um yeah Really, the turning point in a lot of ways in the early Steve Cohen regime, as you said, things looked so downtrodden and pessimistic about the state of the franchise that after that happened, and then they brought in Scherzer and Marte, and um, who else? Who else was in that batch? Escobar, Canna, Escobar and Canna, right? And then they brought in Buck and. You know, Epler, they finally got someone to run the front office, whatever. Uh, and then they won 101 like... games, and it's been real fun, really, yeah. since that tweet. And you were right. I had that same kind of reaction. That Is this guy really throwing a stone right now in a glass house, talking about unprofessionalism? Yeah. Nobody wants to work or play for this team. Yeah. Um, and then that changed. To be a fly on the wall in Steve Cohen's office 
after he got the call that Steven Matz was not going to sign with him, I I would have paid real money to just hear that conversation. I th- to, and like to spend that evening and that afternoon or whatever in uh in the Mets front offices and see what the vibe was like when they realized that they were pivoting from trying to sign Steven Matz to okay, we're making a run at Max Scherzer and it's a legit one. Uh, Max that, Scherzer and Kevin Gossman. Yeah, at the same they time. They tried to get Gossman probably... and Scherzer at the same time. That would have been ridiculous. And you know what, folks? They almost had both. Yeah, that would have been awesome. That actually, I think they would have won the World Series if they had pulled that off. But that's that's kind of like its own little, I'm not, re- I, I'm not resigned to any of this. It doesn't bother me. But like, Gossman would have been electric as a Met. It would have been fun. It yeah. certainly would have been fun. Okay, I'll pivot. I We were talking about the Orioles. I don't know, Melvin Mora. Okay. that's He's a name who played for both. Perhaps perhaps uh, we can throw back to the Mike Bordick trade a little bit if you want. Oh, no. I, 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 I don't. I don't think I do. I wasn't even alive for stuff like this. Like, it's, it's, it doesn't implicate me, like, really in any way as a fan. But it was a very bad trade. Yeah, Mora turned out to be like a career Oriole after that point and put together yeah. like a decade of starting third base caliber mm-hmm. seasons or whatever he was, you know. Mm-hmm. Like he wasn't a superstar, but like he was Melvin pretty Mora. he was pretty liked by Met fans at the time cuz he had a couple moments with the 99 team like and he played like every position back then, so it was um you know, they really only I think made that trade if if my understanding of Met history serves me. They only made that trade because Ray Ordonez got hurt and they really needed like a shortstop because their whole contingency was like having this defense for a shortstop and they needed a trade for someone else. Um, Bordick had like good numbers as an Oriole, but he was also like a defense first guy. And um, yeah, trading Melvin Mora was not like totally advisable. Uh, I don't know. It was a rare Steve Phillips L. I don't know how else to put it. <laughs> Mora had 39 plate appearances with the 1999 Mets and hit 161. No, it was bad, but he made the postseason roster and he had like he made like three web gem plays in one series. Um, he was better in, in 2000 with the Mets, yeah. but he also he came up as a 27 year old is part of the things. He wasn't this prospect, and that always endears it. You know that always will endear you to fans is when you're right. like. Not a prospect, and you come up and you contribute. Um, he had two all-star seasons in 03 and 05 with the Orioles in his early mm-hmm. 30s. He hit 27 home runs twice. Um, drove in 100 runs in 2004. Um, he was a top 20 MVP finisher in 04, a silver slugger. Like, he was a dude that the Mets kind of just, like, let, let get away. Um, not because, like, you know, do they win a World Series if Melvin Mora is their... Um, is on this team in 2006? Probably not. I but... mean, the, the other, I guess, possibility is that, like, they could have used Mora at third or short, and that would have blocked Reyes or Wright. Yeah. Know, which would have been bad. Do they, uh, yeah. Does uh, David Wright have the opportunity to just run with the third base position in 04 if Melvin Mora is a, a top 20 MVP finisher? That's right. There you go. 
crazy. He's sending his kids to the Denver public school systems for us. Yep. Pretty much. We are Denver public school posting. That's right. Um, yeah, I, 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 I'm, I don't know. We'll see what happens. I'm sure the Carlos Carrasco option will be declined before we post this, uh, because these things always seem to work out that way. But um, yeah, now that we're on record saying we both think they they're probably gonna pick it up. Yeah, yeah. Just check before we just check your phone. Check the check it before we sign off for good. Um, I'm looking and there's nothing. Weird. Um. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. It's, we will uh, find out. Yeah. But um, in the uh, in the meantime, I think it's a good place to pin it, put a pin in it for uh, this this episode here. Episode 101 is in the books. Obviously, uh, if you're new to the podcast, go back, listen to some previous episodes. Last week, we were um guest potting with rich staff and abigail noyle on episode 100 it was chaotic it was a lot of fun rich staff is exactly what you expect if you've never heard one of his podcast experience or um podcast uh, appearances before uh, but we enjoyed ourselves quite a bit we're also very thankful that we've had the opportunity to make it to an episode 100 didn't really get to chat about that part of yeah. uh, the milestone last week but if you've listened to us since the jump if you caught uh caught us about any any point along the ride uh up to episode 100 now episode 101 thank you for tuning in and thank you for sticking with us through this and uh getting your sporadic mets coverage with us about every week or so we know it's been a little more sporadic lately but as there's more news to talk about uh we will be on this grind getting the content out to you as as so they say um jack any last uh last thoughts before we uh get out of here yeah, thank you to everyone. Thank you guys for seeing us through to a hundred. Um, but yeah, we really didn't do a whole lot of like just mushy, one hundred episodes posting last time. But it's it, it's it's pretty cool. Never done a hundred of of uh, of anything. I don't think. Well, that's yeah. Yeah, it's pretty it's cool. fun to have a. It's fun to say that we've done a hundred of these things. Yeah. Now 101. We have as many episodes as the Mets had wins this year. Oh, yeah. So, I like the pretty... sound of that. Actually, well, I mean, if you count the playoff win, the one singular week. playoff win. Yeah, next week will be... Uh... Oh, yeah, also the Braves lost. Just uh, wanted to put that back out there. Braves lost. But that's that's all I have. Just uh, I left GM. Yes, Braves, Braves bad, Mets good is what you're hearing on the Pleasant Good Evening Podcast. Again, 101 is in the books. He's Jack Hendon. I'm Sam Lebowitz. And Mets fans, have a pleasant evening.